You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going this morning. <clears throat> and we're looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And just to remind us, uh, the author of this letter wrote to the church and a particular segment of the church that was <clears throat> predominantly Jewish. And they were struggling. One of the reasons they were struggling is because they encountered persecution, opposition, resistance, uh, when they would either come to Christ and trust Him as Savior, or when they would consider that as a possibility. Um, they knew that there was going to be not only significant pushback, but potentially great persecution. For those who had made that profession of faith in Christ, the pressure was on them to change their minds, to repent, to repent back to what they were in embracing Judaism, uh, or to embrace a compromised form of Judaism. For those who had not yet come to Christ, who had not made that confession of Christ as Lord and Savior, the pressure on them was not to do it. And the Jewish community, the unbelieving Jewish community, uh, were, were very committed to keeping their fellow Jews from going down that track of knowing and trusting Christ and following this one that they considered a, a blasphemer. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to uh, the readers and, and telling them that you cannot handle Christ as you would some other personality. You cannot redefine him. You cannot dismiss him. You cannot disregard him. You cannot consider him for less than who he is. He is God the Son come in human flesh. And there's, there's danger to not embracing him for who he is. And that's what we've been tracking uh, throughout the book of Hebrews up to this point. And we're in chapter 2, and uh, it's being emphasized that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. For us, you know, that's not that, you know, that's not that significant of a consideration because we don't think of and regard angels uh, in the same manner in which not only the Jewish people of the first century did, but other traditions within Christianity and other parts of our world even today have a higher view of angels, and, and they add to, they have a, a, an extended theology of angels, and so they, they view them differently. And for the Jewish community, they had a very high view of angels and a very high view of the prophets, and the temptation here was to consider Jesus Christ as something like a super angel, a super spiritual being, but not up to the point of calling him God or God the Son but giving him high regard. So they were looking for, on the one hand, some of them, a way to compromise and, and to meet in the middle ground to regard Jesus Christ as a significant spiritual entity, whether it's an angel, whether it is a, a super prophet, um, a, a super priest. And the writer of the Hebrews says, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. You must regard him for who he is. He is God the Son. And so in chapter 2, he's continuing to address this, 
And he addresses the fact that Jesus Christ has a greater message than the angels had. God used angels to bring the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, mediated through Moses. Um, and he's saying the New Covenant is brought through Jesus Christ. It is a greater message. It is a greater, uh, the message of salvation that is brought through him. And verses 5 through 9, which is where we're at this morning, uh, he's emphasizing that there's a greater authority. We've looked at the fact last week that he has authority over the world to come. The world to come is going to be subjected to Jesus Christ. And we looked at the five worlds of Scripture, beginning with creation and its perfect condition, and uh, what the Scriptures reveal concerning this planet, this earth, this world, uh, in between, where we're at presently, and then ultimately the millennial kingdom and the world changing at that point, and then the dissolution of this present heavens and earth and the establishing of a new heavens and earth. And the world to come is going to be in subjection to Jesus Christ. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ and then the new earth in the new heavens. And only one who has the stature of God has the right and the credibility to rule the world. And Jesus Christ is such a person. So we looked at that last week. This morning we want to look at verses 6 through 9. Let's read these verses. Follow along with me in your copy of the Scriptures. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. So let's, let's consider this this morning. In verses 6 through 8, it's being emphasized that creation is under Christ's authority. That's what he's emphasizing here. This is a quote from uh, Psalm chapter 8. And he states here, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you take care of him. He's talking about humanity. And he's saying in, in relation, and especially in, in this context of the psalm, he's saying in the greatness of the creation that God brought into existence, what is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, we are on a very small speck in this universe. Uh, if you've been up to the Creation Museum, been into their planetarium, and just viewed their presentation, you get a feel for the vastness of this universe, of this creation, and how small Earth is. And then, as an individual human being, we are just a speck on this speck in the universe. And so with all of that, in the massiveness of the universe, in the in the size of this planet, in the population of planet, What is man? Who, who are we that God is even mindful of us, the psalmist asked? Or the son of man that you take care of him. The son of man here refers to humanity. It's not a designation for Jesus Christ in this passage and in this context. It's just referring to humanity. Uh, why, why is it that you even take care of humanity? We bear testimony of the fact that God providentially takes care of us in our lives. Why does he do that? We're so insignificant. And that's, that's the contrast that he's drawing here. 
He says concerning humanity that you have made him a little lower than the angels. In God's creative order, man is lower than the angels. And so uh, it doesn't mean we're insignificant, but we're a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. When God created this earth, he put Adam and Eve in dominion over it. In fact, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and just look at the words of Scripture toward the end of Genesis chapter 1 and just remind ourselves as to what is being said in, in this uh, portion of God's word as it pertains to man. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. And that's a Hebrew word that emphasizes rule. Uh, and dominion over what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created Adam and Eve to be co-rulers of creation, of this earth. That was their created status and position on earth in creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so he's emphasizing the fact that in uh, his initial work of creation, God, man, God created man to rule over this earth, to have dominion on this earth. And then the events of Genesis chapter 3 occurred, and man uh, sinned and rebelled against God, and Satan usurped that place of rule over the earth, and a curse was placed on this earth, uh, and thus we experience what we experience today. But ultimately, when God restores all things, then man will be restored to that position of dominion over this earth. And man will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Now, we don't assert that dominion. That's very important to emphasize that. Jesus Christ is the one who returns and establishes his kingdom, Revelation chapter 19. And then we, as those who have trusted Christ as Savior, we will rule and reign with him. But we do not, we do not nor are we called to, seek to assert dominion on this present earth and in this present time. That's not our purpose. We can't do it. In God's plan and God's purpose, that will happen. But it will happen with the second Adam, the man from heaven, the son of man, coming and fulfilling that purpose in God's plan, which is to return and establish his kingdom on this earth. And he does that at the conclusion of the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation. And so when he returns... He establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he rules and reigns from there. And we're told in Revelation that the saints, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, will rule and reign with him. Why? Because that's God's design from the very beginning. Man is to exercise rule and dominion over this creation. But not as one who is corrupt and defiled by sin, but one who is regenerated and given life again, and who is righteous and uh, enable and equipped to rule and reign as God intended this earth to be uh, 
ruled and reigned. Now we live in an earth that is dominated by corruption because of the curse of sin and by conflict because of the sinfulness of mankind. This earth is not a, a, a safe place to live. I mean, any number of, of catastrophes, any number of events can occur, any number of situations can occur because of human conduct and activity. This earth is cursed, and life on this earth is cursed. But it's not intended to be that way. So the, the writer of Hebrews is, is emphasizing the fact that even though we're made a little lower than the angels, God's intention for us is to be crowned with glory and honor and to rule and reign with Him. That's God's purpose and God's design in creation. And so we not only talk about the salvation of our souls, that's important, that's where it begins, that's the genesis of restoring a right relationship with our Creator. But it moves and builds from there that where ultimately those regenerate in Jesus Christ will rule and reign with Him for a thousand years, and then on the new heavens and the new earth, after this present heavens and earth is dissolved, we will live there with our Lord and our God forever on the new earth as the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, descends from heaven to earth, Revelation 21 and 22. So that's our destiny. But that destiny can only begin to be embraced through the first step, which is regeneration, which is coming to faith uh, in Jesus Christ and trusting Him as one's Lord and Savior. That is the beginning point. That is the entry point of what God intends to do in our lives, individually and collectively, for those who are regenerate and trust Him. What did uh, our Lord say to Nicodemus concerning entering the kingdom? You shall not enter the kingdom unless what? Unless you're born again. He told Nicodemus, the chief teacher in Israel at that time, he said, Nicodemus, even you and your elevated status, even you with your abilities in the Old Testament scriptures, you shall not enter the kingdom that you teach about, that you anticipate. You shall not enter that kingdom, Nicodemus, unless you are born again. And of course, Nicodemus says, well, how's that happen? <laughs> well, that just engaged the conversation as to the need for man to be born again, to enter the kingdom. But that's the entry point. So yes, we talk about justification and salvation. That's necessary because we don't enter into God's purposes for us until we come to Him by faith in Christ Jesus and stand justified before Him. But then that launches us into all that God has for us and that culminates for us on the new heavens and the new earth. That's God's design for us going all the way back to Genesis. And that will be fulfilled. But first, this whole sin issue has to be dealt with, and the curse has to be fully dealt with. And the one who can do that and has done it is Jesus Christ. So you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. So that's Trans, that is transitioning to Jesus Christ as in his humanity as the Son of Man. 
as uh, the one who, uh, the second Adam, uh, that perfect man uh, who, who died and was buried and rose again for us, uh, all things are put in subjection under him, and all things, uh, he has put him over the works of his hands. And so in Christ Jesus is humanity restored. Only in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. And so the creation, just as it initially was under Adam's authority, Adam and Eve as they co-ruled, but then it was lost due to the sin of Adam and Eve, in Christ it will be restored and redeemed humanity will rule and reign with the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, do not think of Jesus Christ as a super angel. Don't think of him as a super prophet. Don't think of him as a super priest. He is more than that. He is God in human flesh. Don't diminish him for the sake of present difficulty, present resistance, present opposition. He is who he is and regard him for who he is. Come to him for who he is. Worship him for who he is. But the nemesis that we encounter is death. In verse um, eight, verse nine, in particular, he is saying that the second Adam, as Paul refers to him in the book of Romans, this man, Christ Jesus, he has conquered death, and death is under his authority. Verse 9, he says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. That's talking about his humanity. When he took on humanity, he took on a position, a status, of being a little lower than the angels. Because that's what we are. So he humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, and took upon himself the form of a servant, the form of a man. So he was made a little lower than the angels. For what purpose? For the suffering of death. Jesus Christ became man to, among other priorities, suffer death. Because that was necessary. In order for humanity to be redeemed, Death had to be addressed and overcome. Again, we're at the age where we talk about, you know, wills and what's going to happen to our stuff, to our family, whatever, when we die. Because we're, we're bumping into that tier of life, into that tier of time in these bodies. And we cannot deny the reality that these bodies are not the same as they were when we were 20 and 30. They have radically changed. And they will change more. And ultimately, unless the Lord returns, these bodies are going to die. That's a reality for humanity. 
we experience death. It's inescapable. And unless Jesus Christ conquers death, then that would be the, the end of man. Death and final separation from God. So he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ became man to experience death, to die, actually die, and he did it on behalf of everyone. Because he's God, his death is sufficient for all of humanity. That does not mean that all of humanity will, re will turn to him in repentance and faith, but because of who he is, his death is sufficient for everyone. He tasted death for everyone. Not a select few. He tasted death for Jew, for Gentile, for male, for female, for everyone. Because death has to be overcome. So Jesus Christ died for our sins and bore our sins in his body. But if he had not risen again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that whole action on the, of, on the part of Jesus Christ would be worth nothing. He would have bore our sins and suffered that punishment, but if he had not risen again and if his body was still buried in that grave in Jerusalem, it would be worth nothing because he would not have overcome death. Death would have overcome him. And in order to overcome death, he had to experience death, go through death, and then overcome it. And that he did through resurrection. And so through that great work of God, that supernatural, powerful work of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God now says that if you put your faith and trust in my son, Jesus Christ, not only will your sins be forgiven, and they will be, not only will your guilt be pardoned, and it is, but you will receive eternal life. And part of that work of salvation and eternal life is that when these sin-cursed bodies die, it's the promise that they will be raised again to newness of life. That's part of our salvation. And we're taught that clearly and repeatedly in the Scriptures. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we will be raised in newness of life and we shall live forever with our Lord and God and our fellow believers for all eternity with Him, body, soul, and spirit, a resurrected body fitted for eternity. Free from the curse of sin. Free from all the limitations. Alive in Christ. But in order for that to happen, Jesus Christ had to taste death. He'll flesh this out more fully as we go through the book of Hebrews. But he's saying, Jesus Christ has authority over death. No angel has that. No prophet has that. No king has that. No priest has that. Jesus Christ cannot be dismissed or disregarded or redefined. 
Even if you want to put him on some elevated spiritual level, you cannot do that because of who he is. And he tasted death for everyone because God's intention for man is that man lived with God forever. Now on the other side of that, even the unregenerate, even the unredeemed, now listen, will be resurrected. You say, then what's, what's the profit of turning to Christ? Well, the unredeemed, the unregenerate, the unbelieving, they will be resurrected in the final judgment. And they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20. And God will bring final judgment upon them. And they will be cast, body, soul, and spirit, into the lake of fire, for they will exist forever and ever and ever. Separated from God, separated from the life of God, separated from the beauty of holiness, the beauty of righteousness, the beauty of life. In the lake of fire, which is also described as the outer darkness forever and ever and ever. So there's resurrection for the unregenerate as well. But their eternal existence is eternally separate from God. Suffering that second death, that final separation. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the Son of Man, the God-Man, he tasted of death, he experienced death for humanity so that by grace, through faith, we come to repentance toward God for our sinfulness and turn by faith to God through Jesus Christ, in whom alone is salvation. And God gives to us forgiveness of sins, pardon of our guilt, and eternal life, and the blessed promises of what he has yet to do, not only with us, but with his creation. Only God can do that. So the writer of Hebrews says, do not diminish or disregard Christ for who he is. View him, honor him, worship him for who he is. And that begins by turning in repentance from our sin, our sin against God, and turning in repentance toward God and putting faith in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't, if you haven't truly repented and turned to Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says elsewhere, Today is a day of salvation. If you hear the voice of God through the word of God, you're exposed to the truth of God, do not harden your heart. Turn to him today, because the day is a day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessing and privilege we have to be together. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what's the blessing of what's in front of us not only in this present life. Uh, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and we experience many of those blessings in this present life, and we rejoice, we do. But Lord, we also anticipate what is yet to come. We know that in the event that we experience physical death and, 
and our soul and spirit depart from this body, we know that immediately as believers we go to be present with you, uh, rejoicing, not looking back. And then we, we anticipate and expect these bodies to be resurrected and, and made new and fitted for eternity. And we expect to rule and reign with you. And, and Father, we look forward to and expect the new heavens and the new earth. And that's all out in front of us. But it is in front of us. And we're grateful that that's our destiny. And Lord, we look forward to uh, eternity on the new earth with you, living life as you created it to be. We thank you for these blessings. And Father, we do pray for, for any that might be with us today who has not truly come to repentance towards you for their sinfulness. For each of us have sinned against you, Lord. And for, for anyone who has not truly turned in repentance towards you because of their sinfulness and their sin against you, Lord, may, may the Spirit of God so work within that individual or individual's father that they grasp the reality of their sinfulness. And the Father, that by your grace they would turn in faith to Jesus Christ, who alone is Savior, and put their trust in Christ and know the forgiveness of sins and know the pardon of their guilt. Father, we pray for that today as well. Father, again, we just thank you for the blessing and the privilege of being together around you and your word today. Thank you for our fellowship in Christ Jesus. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.